0: from PRX.
1: This is Studio 360. I'm Curdy Anderson. On this podcast extra, we're bringing you a special series of stories about science and creativity. First up is a three-part look at a staple of science fiction and fantasy, the multiverse. A lot of physicists think the idea of parallel universes is not so far-fetched. So today on Studio 360, we're going to talk to artists who try to imagine what our lives would be like in a multiverse.
0: You unlock this door with the key of imagination.
1: The Twilight Zone. How I loved it. In 1963, they aired this episode called The Parallel. An astronaut completes his mission and reunites with his family. But it turns out that he landed on a mirror Earth. And the family he thinks is his own? They're just
2: look-alikes. Tell mommy and Colonel Connicker who I am. Mom, please. Now, sweetheart, you say whatever's on your mind. Tell them who I am.
0: I don't know who you are.
2: Maggie, this is your daddy. This is your daddy.
0: He's not my daddy. I don't know who he is.
1: At the time, in 1963, the idea of a parallel universe was pretty new. But it would soon become a science fiction trope. Like in this Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk and his squad accidentally beam into a parallel universe and encounter an Enterprise crew that is brutal, fascist, and kind of scantily clad.
0: Another Enterprise? Spark with a beard? Another Captain Kirk, another Dr. McCoy, and... exchange. If we're here then our counterparts must've been transporting up at the exact same time. Similar storms on both universes disrupted the circuits. We're here and there on our
1: enterprise. But this parallel universe stuff is really all just sci-fi fantasy, right? Maybe not. Even before Star Trek and the Twilight Zone, some physicists were beginning to suspect that our universe could be one of many and a lot more do now. If it is, the cosmos is much weirder than anything at the Cineplex. Today in Studio 360, we're gonna try to wrap our heads around this idea of multiple universes. It's a concept scientists are working to understand and explain and that artists are exploring more than ever. To begin to understand how this sci-fi idea reflects real scientific theory, We've got to get small, very small. We've got to shrink down into the world of quantum mechanics. That's the science of tiny subatomic particles and how they behave. Quantum mechanics revolutionized physics a century
2: ago. And yet, after 100 years, people still argue passionately about what it means. Max
1: Tegmark teaches physics at MIT, more specifically cosmology, the origins and nature of the universe. I decided he'd be a perfect expert for this because he's used to explaining difficult concepts like the multiverse to groggy students. From your own days as a student, you may remember something about Schrodinger's cat. There's a cat in a box and a little bit of radioactive material in the box with the cat. If the radioactive material decays, the cat dies. Sorry, kitty. If the radioactive material doesn't decay, the cat lives. But until you open the box, the cat is both alive and dead. The cat scenario was meant to be a kind of funny takedown of the dominant interpretation of quantum physics at the time. Basically, that a particle can be in two different states, doing two different things until someone looks at it. That's ridiculous, Schrodinger was essentially saying. The cat can't both be alive and dead. That just doesn't make sense. But there was a young graduate student named Hugh Everett who disagreed, and he took it even further— he said maybe the cat is both alive and dead, meaning maybe particles are in two different states at once.
2: The only <laughs> catch is that if you take his idea seriously, then there is a multiverse. Because we know that electrons can be at in two different places at once. Right. As can all elementary particles. But you and I are made of elementary particles. So if they can be in two places at once, why can't we?
1: And Everett said, yeah, we can. He proposed that every time you make a decision, any decision, say you wake up in the morning and choose to put on the striped socks instead of the black ones...
2: Reality kind of forks out where there's another branch where you did exactly the opposite.
1: So now there's actually another world where you put on the black socks. A world where you went to business school instead of getting the degree in English Lit. A world where that cat is alive and an entirely different world where the cat's dead.
2: Everett said that all those worlds are equally real, it's just that there's a law of physics you can derive that explains why you will always think that your branch is the only one, because the striped socked you will have no idea of the existence of the black socked you. You may recognize
1: this concept from movies like Sliding Doors, where Gwyneth Paltrow both does and does not catch a train, allowing her to both catch and not catch her boyfriend in bed with another woman.
0: And I just couldn't help thinking if I had just caught that bloody train, it would never have happened. I'd have been home ages ago. Oh,
3: well, you just don't want to go wondering about things like that. You know, um, if only
2: this and what if that. Uh...
1: Professor Tegmark actually likes that movie.
2: The coolest thing about all of this is it doesn't just involve what sounds like the Sliding Doors movie and other science fiction, but it actually predicts that you can build really awesome technology like quantum computers that can solve certain problems incredibly quickly using this. Sadly, if we do get
1: quantum computers before too long, Hugh Everett won't be around to see it. He died of a heart attack at the age of 51 in 1982. For many years, his ideas were dismissed, considered completely outlandish. Only toward the very end of his life, did he begin to see some recognition. Hugh Everett was more absorbed in his work than in his family. His son Mark was 19 when his father died, and they had never been close. Mark is now the front man for a band called The Eels, and some of his songs are about his father and the relationship he wished they'd had.
0: I'm turning out just like my father Though I swore I never would Now I
1: can say that I have love for him.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up having no idea that was my father's thing when I was a kid, but (laughs) enjoying lots of Star Trek episodes and Twilight Zone episodes and and countless movies that were all inspired by it. You know, I mean, I've learned most of what I know about my father from the experience of uh, making the— the Nova documentary right. about him uh, a few years ago where I got to meet a lot of people that knew him. And it really ended up probably being the single most rewarding experience of my life in, in so many ways.
1: And this is 25 years after he died.
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, I, I'm going to play a clip from, from that documentary. And it's a scene where you discover these old audio cassettes that belong to your father and, and decide to play them. Okay, Here's the clip.
3: Don't really want to play it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to expect here. Well, all right, here goes.
0: Well, it's been a great evening. Why don't you lead on after your drink by telling us how you got started with weird quantum mechanics? Well, it was because of you and Ola Peterson one night at the graduate college after a slosh or two of sherry, if you might recall.
1: Wow. Okay, know? that does. I that is my father's voice. Uh, Mark, that's you in 2007. Hearing his voice then on those tapes, was that a big deal for you?
3: And that was a particularly odd moment for me because that was literally the first time I'd heard his voice in 25 years. And uh, I couldn't remember what his voice sounded like, but then the moment I heard it, it was obvious to me. It was, oh, yeah, that's what he, I remember that now.
1: Do you have any uh, any specific memories of an encounter, a conversation with him?
3: Well, one of the most poignant memories I have is the night he died. um, My mom and my sister were out of town. It was just me and him at home. And we probably had the most oddly human conversation we ever had was the last conversation we had, which was really... um, unprecedented you know and, and odd that it happened like hours before he died, but he was being very outgoing and um, you know joking around and talk we we were talking like actual people talk, which was <laughs> sounds weird, but uh, that just didn't happen between us and and then um then the next morning, I found him dead
1: do you remember what that last conversation the night before was about
3: We talked about um TV and how I was doing the dishes, which was unusual, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, just just small talk, and poker. I'd just gotten into poker, and he was really into poker, and he was giving me poker advice.
1: And did he, uh, you, you had started being a musician by then?
3: Um, yeah, I was a, I was a drummer for a long time already by then, yeah.
1: And what did he think of that? Well, you know, uh,
3: he I always took it as a huge endorsement that he and my mom let me play drums in the house all that time. Uh-huh. You know, in that, that part in the documentary where I'm playing the tape and I'm hearing his voice uh-huh. for the first time in 25 years.
0: something wrong here. I showed the paradoxes and whatnot. Something should be done to change
3: it. Um, while he's talking, you start to hear me playing drums in the basement while he's talking. <laughs>
0: Of this
3: type. You know, it's a, it, was, it was constant. Like, you know, most kids who start playing drums when they're six years old lose interest after a week or two, but I didn't lose interest for my whole life. I played every day, and I don't think I could handle a kid doing that in, in the house every day.
1: You wrote a song called Parallels, which made me think about your father.
0: Woke up lost in a world I didn't know Shook it off and I'm trying to make a go Ever get the feeling That the story isn't done And you know that you are not The only one And I know you're out there somewhere And I know that you are well Looking for an answer But only time can tell
1: if if his theories are correct, uh, then indeed uh, your father could be alive, uh, an old man in some other universe. Is that a thing you think about?
3: Yeah, that's a thing I thought about with all all the my family that are gone now. Is occasionally um, you think about, and I, I have dreams occasionally about my father as a. Old man, because I'm actually now older than my father was when he died. So it's um, that's a that's a strange feeling. It was a strange feeling when I became older than my older sister. Now I'm older than my father ever lived to be, and so I'll have these dreams occasionally where he has gray hair and and he's kind of a, a more laid back, uh, happier version.
1: Your sister Liz committed suicide in 2006. She left a note, writing that she was gonna join your father in a parallel universe. Was her relationship with him very different than yours? Her well, I, and you know, I don't
3: know what her relationship was specifically with his ideas, but I, I do know that in her relationship with him was closer than my relationship with him, and it might have been because she was the first child and she was six years older than me, and that there, there may have been some bonding that happened early on. With her, that didn't happen with me.
1: You once said that you and your father could both be described as idea men and anything outside that can be a distraction. What did you mean by that?
3: Uh, Well, I, you know, the older I got, the more I started to see parallels between our personalities in some areas like that. Like, uh, the same way that he was kind of always this quiet presence sitting around thinking all the time, sorting out his thoughts. And everything. I, I uh, hear people describing me that way often. And you start to notice over the years that I'm like, oh, as, as much as you try, we all try to be like the opposite of our parents. And, <laughs> yeah. And then, but then one day you look in the mirror and your father's staring back at you. The,
1: there's a theory that's kind of adjacent to your father's work called the pocket universe. Does it ever feel that way to you when you're working on a record or song that you're in this, happy little pocket universe
3: totally I mean it's a great analogy because I, I often when I'm making a record I I'm, I've just got blinders on and there is no other universe and it's like that's one of the things that is easy about doing what I do and because um, you just it's your entire cause for living until it's done um, but the, you know, the price you pay is it's a very unbalanced life
1: are you working on something now?
3: I'm working on balancing my life after, <laughs> after too many years of doing that.
1: Yeah. Well, good luck with that.
3: Thanks. I need it.
0: I had some regrets, but if I had to do it all again, well, it's something I'd like to do.
1: Since we last spoke, Mark Everett has been very busy. The Eels just released a new album last month called The Deconstruction and are currently on a world tour through July 20th. You can hear the full version of Mark Everett's Song Parallels and watch that documentary about him and his father at studio360.org. And that concludes part one of our three-part multiverse podcast series. It was produced with support from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Watch for our next podcast extra episode when the multiverse starts to sound like Groundhog Day. That's next time on Studio 360's special Science and Creativity series. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts.